The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga, and I'm filling in for Beth Heaton, the regular host. Now on to today. For my third and last segment, I'll be talking with Candace Inc. Candace is a 23-year-old special ed teacher in Massachusetts who managed to graduate college with only $3,000 of debt that she then paid off before the interest came due. She has a lot of great advice on how to minimize spending as a college student and save as a young college graduate. Now, for my first two segments, I'm very excited to be talking with two representatives from Bentley University, also in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Karen Karadoyanis, and I'm going to have Karen correct my uh, pronunciation later, is the Director of International Admissions there, and Christine Luckner is the Director of the Center for International Students and Scholars, and they'll be joining us for our first two segments to discuss how international students can conduct a savvy college search, apply, and plan for their transition to college in the U.S. Welcome, Karen and Christine. Hello, and you did a perfect job pronouncing my last name. Oh, good. Well, we'll see if I can keep it up down the road, so I'm glad to hear it. Um, So, Karen and Christine, I'm happy to say that we have a number of listeners from countries all over the globe who will be very interested in your advice. I mean, we have callers from China, from Norway, I mean, really all over the globe. Um, I'm guessing that a number of them are rising seniors or the parents of seniors, but I'm hoping that some of them are actually beginning the equivalent of ninth grade in the U.S. or their final four years of high school. So I guess I want to start, you know, I'm hoping for some general advice of what you would recommend for for the younger students before we get to, uh, you know, those rising seniors. Great question. I always tell younger students in ninth grade to really focus on finding what their passion is. Enjoy academics, but also enjoy extracurriculars. Get involved, sample the courses, try and do well in all of them, but really identify early on what their strengths are. By sophomore year, your second year in secondary school, I know in China, ninth grade is somewhere else, so they're secondary school actually starts in 10th. Um, I encourage students at that point to continue to narrow down their areas of interest, not necessarily to close doors, but identify where their strengths are, to continue their extracurricular activities where they can. If their institution where they're going to secondary school doesn't offer many 
extracurricular activities, look beyond borders and see what they might be able to do in the community. Find that passion. Enjoy both. Because by your third year in secondary school, junior year, or in some um, cases, um, your next to last year, you should really then be focused on your curriculum strengths. You always want to maintain and do the best that you can. You want to start selecting courses at the most rigorous level if the secondary school you're attending offers them. And you also want to start hoping to obtain leadership roles in those extracurricular activities that you're doing. That during your junior year, and as university officials evaluate you, we're not looking for how many extracurriculars you are pursuing. So many students will take on so many and change them each year. We're really looking at your growth and development within those few extracurricular activities that you do. So academically, that's what we're looking for junior year. The summer going into your senior year is where things get a little different because now everything is compounded with also preparing for university applications and taking standardized test results while you're still trying to take the most rigorous curriculum and perform well. Mm-hmm. So uh, just before we move on, um, before we move on to sort of this summer, right, if for a rising senior, I want to go back to what extracurriculars are, because I think that's pretty confusing for international students, because it's a huge emphasis in the U.S. Everybody talks about it. People like have a sense of what it is. But when I'm talking to um when I'm talking to the families of international students, whether they're from Asia or Europe or South America, um, it doesn't seem to matter. They're kind of confused by what a good, um, you know, extracurricular is because it's just not an emphasis in their home system. So I was wondering, obviously, the opportunities are very broad, but do you have any examples of, uh, you know, some strong extracurriculars that students from different areas of the world have had? Absolutely. So if I were to think about Latin America, for example, we tend to see a lot of students who are doing volunteer work through their church um, or a religious organization. Um, it could also be a temple. So through their interest of faith, they're, doing, they're committed to their community that way. We do see some service, whether students are um, helping kids learn to speak English, We do see students where their secondary schools don't have um, athletic programs participating in club sports outside of their secondary school within the community. So the opportunities are vast. Um, If I'm thinking about um, Europe, Community service tends to be very big in Europe. Rarely do I read applications, whether it's from a student at a national school that might not have club sports to um, other student to other schools that do. But I do see involvement in the community. At their school, it's student organizations and clubs. In Europe, I often see students involved in Model United Nations. I see students involved in their community when it is um, efforts um, for 
environmental sustainability and working to make the environment greener um, and just educating on the values of clean. Um, In Africa, I see huge amounts of community service where students go into uh, more rural areas where maybe education isn't an option or they're working in orphanages teaching students um, just the value of community building and playing sports with them. And in Asia, it varies based on the school because that's the one region where extracurriculars I find mostly um, noted in China, which are really limited because the culture has students also doing additional coursework and test prep in the evening. So in those instances, I see students who, as their hobby, write blogs or students who enjoy photography or poetry. And some of those factors are equally as significant because often they'll give us samples of things they may have written or photographs that they may have taken or interests. So we recognize that in different parts of the world, extracurriculars mean different things, and it can be as basic as part-time jobs. We'll have students that tell us that they are babysitters and they care for a sibling and what they do with their, their sibling, and that often is an extracurricular as well because that's another form of responsibility and it demonstrates leadership. We're looking for skills where students can add value to their learning at a university campus. Mm -hmm. And I love that you've given a sense of the diversity of what students can do. So I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Were you saying something else? No, not at all. Okay, so one of the things that I wanted to ask, too, because I get this question, especially from international students, but also domestic students, is if I'm applying into a business major, that means that my activity has to be business-related. Um, there's a lot of anxiety around that. And my my advice has always been, it's great if you have some involvement with some kind of business-oriented thing, but it's not required. So any comments on that? You're absolutely right. Often kids tell me, well, I chose to take even a business course over a physics course. We love to see the diversity that that physics course brings. That's an example where we don't want students to have a mindset and limit themselves. We love to see their ability to have a variety of strengths and weaknesses. Yes, a business activity, whether it is forming a a club doesn't necessarily have to be a club about business, but we're seeing the creativity, the initiative, and innovation of a candidate when they say to us, hey, you know what? We started a environmental club. We started a Model UN on our campus. The act of starting something, initiating something, is equally valuable to demonstrate a business aptitude as opposed to being in, you know, a business club in and of itself. The business club actually does demonstrate an interest and a fit, but the role of initiating, being involved in, having a leadership role... Those are all attributes of people in the industry of business as well that we look for. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, great. All right. So as we all know, the unfortunate reality is that most students, most international students, only start paying attention to the admission process at the end of their 11th grade or second to last year in school or even later, which given that the admissions process happens so much later um, in most countries than than in the U.S., you know, that's really not much of a surprise. But so, so Karen, what advice would you give to an international student who wants to attend Bentley in the fall of 2018? They're almost done. They're on their last year of schooling. They want to start school at Bentley fall of 2018. I'm going to answer this two ways because I think we have a difference of opinion. I'm finding more and more students starting their search earlier and their process of developing their skills earlier. And I say that uniform globally because I travel the world. I do a lot of workshops when I do secondary school visits and presentations. And I'm finding more sophomores and juniors in my workshops than rising seniors when I talk about preparing that winning college application or how to write a university essay. So I think the tides are changing. That's great to hear. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is great to hear, though. Go ahead. With that said, if you are a rising senior, I would encourage all students this summer to write their college essays. Even if it's not the final version, to have a pretty solid draft. I've done a lot of research and I've taken the research that I've done from professional organizations that have done surveys and taken that information and shared it with my colleagues in the industry, and we've come up with an average of how long it takes to write a college essay. Researchers say that students should spend four to six weeks of full-time hours both brainstorming and developing their college essay. I think that's a lot to ask of 16, 17-year-olds to dedicate that time over their summer or worse their fall semester when it's competing with getting those best grades in those rigorous classes and getting the extracurriculars done and preparing for exams, as you can see, it's already sounding overwhelming. So when I talked with my colleagues in the industry, ranging from Ivy League to less competitive institutions, we really concluded that the equivalent of about two full-time Uh, Two weeks full-time hours is really what's needed for that brainstorming and preparing their essay. And a lot of it is due in part that most universities in the United States use the Common Application Form. The Common Application Form gives you five options for an essay, but it has to be one size fits all. If you have diverse universities on your list, What you first need to do is research these universities, identify what their strengths are, see where the commonalities are. So when you write your essay, you want to make sure that you're demonstrating interest to all and it's a fit. That's the whole brainstorming piece. Then you have to think about the fact that you need to now collect that data, that information choose a a topic to write about, and then write a coherent essay. And that takes time as well. I always tell students, 
it's great once you've written your essay to share it with a teacher, but always ask the teacher. That's hence why I say write it over the summer so it's something a teacher is seeing once you start school in the fall. Ask your teacher, this is the question. Does the question reflect 75% of who I am and only 25% really the summation of the question in and of itself? These are the schools I'm looking at. These are the strengths of these five, six, seven schools that I'm applying to, 10, sometimes more. Am I meeting these strengths of these said institutions in this essay? So when someone reads it, like myself, I'm interpreting the fit, the match, and the interest. And I think a lot of times students are going to write essays that don't apply at all. Some of my best applicants that should have been accepted to Bentley and potentially given a full-time scholar, a full tuition scholarship, I've waitlisted because their content of their essay made me believe that we would never be a good choice for them. And then later I find out because we require another essay at waitlist that we were their first choice. Or sometimes there are essays that are completely inappropriate. Or sometimes there are essays that are persuasive where most of the time you're interpreting the topic is a little argumentative or trying to convince the reader that their way is the right way and the only way rather than us learning something more about you beyond your grades and your standardized test results. That's okay, the so- whole purpose of the essay. Right. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, it is time for us to go to break. Um, but I definitely want to follow up on this because I think the, the essay is a really important um, thing to talk about. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes to continue our discussion. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. 
Tune in every week for Envision with host Thomas Rosenberg. The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as Thomas speaks with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Karen and Christine and I will continue our conversation about the application and transition process for international students. So, Karen, you were giving us some great stuff about essays from international students, and I would imagine that because Bentley is a specialized institution focused more towards business, correct me if I'm wrong, that that's probably going to be even more important for Bentley than for a school that has a little bit of everything. Um, so what, what would be just one or two examples um, of, uh, you know, sort of essays that just really didn't work for Bentley? Um, you will laugh, but every year there's always a few ridiculous um, essays. Two that came immediately to mind was a young gentleman's essay about the reason why he wanted to study in the United States was because of his obsession with Britney Spears. Um, (laughs) Yes, very inappropriate. Not a good idea. (laughs) Another one I received was about... um, One's first kiss. Yeah. Um, I saw some of those from domestic students, believe it or not. Not a good idea either. Does not surprise me. Does not surprise me whatsoever. Now, with a match, I'd like to give you an example of a student who um, was borderline, accept or wait list. And his essay is one that I always use as an example in my essay writing workshop because when you read it, you wanted this kid on your campus. And what he talked about, he was looking at Bentley for computer information systems. We have a very competitive program here. And his essay was about his desire to get a more robust computer. And when he went to purchase one in your retail industries, they were either too expensive or they could not fulfill his own objectives. You learn in his essay that he's a gamer. But what fascinated me is for two years, so you can see that this young man had a mission, for every holiday, every event um, that he could earn a gift, he asked for certain components so he could build his own computer. Not only did this young gentleman build his own computer, but he also programmed it. 
And what was fascinating is this end product that took them two years to build is faster than any product on the market today and cost him 50% less. Now, when you think of the brilliance of this young man, it's definitely in his experiential learning, but was enough being an experiential school that we could overlook some of the blemishes on the transcript because we felt that he could contribute so much more in our classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's a me, wonderful that story. A great Go ahead. Example of match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I do want to say that even I mean I worked at the University of Chicago about as theoretical as it gets. Although there are a lot of research opportunities, but we still would have been impressed with an essay like that. You know, a student who's thoughtful, who's a go-getter, you know, that's going to be a positive. It's probably, you know, especially important at a Bentley, but really admirable at, at really, I think, just about any college in the country. So, so I want to go in a different direction and I, I want to talk about... Um, you know, visiting colleges and showing demonstrated interest, because I find that that's a pretty uh, foreign concept. I mean, you, again, have more experience with international students than I do. But when I've worked with international students, even those who are based in the U.S., sometimes it's hard for me to get them to visit colleges. They're like, why would I do that? I'm just applying to schools at different levels of ranking and I'm done. So, um, so I was hoping that you could talk about at Bentley sort of the importance of visiting and the importance of demonstrating interest um, in general for a college? Absolutely. I think visiting a college has two purposes. Yes, you're demonstrating interest at that university, but you yourself are also determining whether or not you like it. If you have the opportunity to visit, then you should visit because sometimes your perception of the institution isn't its reality. And vice versa. Sometimes it could be good and sometimes it could be bad. So you might think this school is a safety school for you and all of a sudden you walk on the campus and you absolutely love it and it becomes your top priority. I've actually seen that happen where we've attracted kids to Bentley that have been accepted to Bentley as well as Ivy League institutions, but their experience here made them fall in love with us to select us over them. So the purpose of a visit is not only to demonstrate interest at a university, because it is important to us. We get close to 9,000 applications. I've worked for universities that received 50 or 60,000 applications. In today's world, we actually track that because more institutions want to become more competitive, and the more connections you make with that school, the more apt that more likely we are going to believe that you're more likely to choose us if we admit you versus the student that makes no connections. Now, we realize not everyone can visit. Sometimes universities are blessed like Bentley to travel abroad, and we visit your school or we're in your city or community. That's when you should attend an information session or outreach if you're invited to an interview because, once again, that's a form of interest. We track it. It becomes part of your application if you elect to 
attend. That's why those little prospect cards that we bring with us is so important for students to fill out because that's how we know that you have demonstrated interest. Sometimes Mm -hmm. students aren't able to visit, but interest is still key. That's when we encourage you to log on to a website, ask for information. If you have questions, email the admissions office because that will engage a conversation. And once again, that demonstrates interest. But it's not just interest. It's interest and then we need to determine fit. And it's the two to come together because sometimes there might be a lot of interest, but there might not be that appropriate fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I wanted to kind of pivot this slightly, and Karen, you addressed this a little bit, but I want to hear from Christine. When, if a student is in, able to visit, are there any particular things that international students should be looking for to make sure they'll be happy and thrive at a college, like maybe a center for international students, anything like that? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. You know, I think um, a lot of our students <coughs> who come here um, are very pleased to discover that we have very active um, clubs, such as our International Students Association. Um, and I think that uh, that would be something to look for when you're visiting a campus, because if there is a club that you know that you'll be able to participate in easily that will allow you access to your classmates uh, outside of the classroom, um, I think that would be a really appealing factor for students, because they know that that will just Um, enhance their experience at the college that much more. Okay. And I was thinking about um, sort of looking at the campus culture as well. I worked, um, or I had a friend in college who's, she was friends with an exchange student, or she had been an exchange student, but a young woman from Spain who enrolled in a small college in Kansas that was a religious college, and she didn't think it would be a big deal because she attended, you know, mass on Sundays, but it ended up, it was just really not a good cultural fit. So Uh I was kind of wondering about, like, how would you, you know, suggest that an international student sort of find out more about the kind of students who are happy there? That's a great question, too. Yeah, so we have, um, you know, all of our statistics are on our website, and so someone could certainly, even without coming, but especially when they're here, uh, figure out sort of what the climate is and how diverse are we and how many students do we have from other countries and other cultures that are represented. Um, You know, we have a a huge uh, international student population, but as a culture, Bentley is also very diverse, and, you know, we send 40% of our students abroad um, every year for their study abroad experience, so even our students who are not necessarily defined as international students are coming back and bringing different cultures and different worldviews and different practices and everything to our campus. So finding out the statistics about a university um, and, you know, getting a feel for the pulse and the flavor of the, the climate, I think, is really, really important. I know a lot of universities, Bentley included, sometimes offer um, overnight visits when uh, people come to the campus. So to be able to stay with a student and really talk to students and get a feel for what the experience on that campus is like, I think is really, really beneficial for someone to be able to um, go beyond just what is on the website and what the tour guide tells them. Mm-hmm. All right. And so for the last few minutes of, of this session, I was thinking maybe we could talk about once a student has enrolled, you know, what should they do to ensure success? You know, or do they face any special challenges? You know, how do they make the most of their college experience? 
Sure, that's great. So um, for our international students in particular, um, you know, we have a lot of services that are dedicated to making sure that students will be successful. Um, we feel that, especially in their first semester, it is crucial to make sure that they are, uh, as I mentioned, getting involved in activities and organizations and things like that, but also that they're taking advantage of our resources. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have an English as a second language uh, center, which really helps students um, achieve their their most in, in their academics. Uh, they will help them uh, with the writing skills that they need to get started and to get successful for the rest of their career here. Um, they will help them with research. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, seminars and uh, types of uh, presentations from our library that will show them how to properly do citations, you know, which might be something that is different from what they're used to. Um, you know, we can help them with their research projects in that way. So there's a lot of uh, resources, and I, and I think that the most important thing is for students to, to seek them out in the beginning of their career at college. You know, if they wait until um, their senior year, they've really missed out on all these opportunities to enhance their skills and to, um, to make the most of the experience here. Uh, you know, just one other thing that they can do, and, and this, is, uh, this is widely known, is that students who are more engaged have a higher GPA on average. So students who participate in whatever that may be, whether it's something that it's an activity that they've already been doing and they're familiar with, or if it's like trying something new, joining a chess club or the ultimate Frisbee team or something that they've never done before, participation and engagement will also help them be a successful student here, um, and it just tends to go hand-in-hand with the academics. And I think, you know, that's part of the American university philosophy is that the education is more than just the classroom. You know, getting involved in the in the residential center and all of the programs that are happening in the residential halls is also another way to really ensure that they make the most out of their time here and that they're successful, um, you know, here and then beyond after they graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, um, I, I worked with some students in Saudi Arabia who were actually applying to graduate school. And I talked to one young man who, um, he had gone to the University of Missouri at Columbia, you know, not known as sort of an urban, you know, exciting place. But right. he talked about how much there was to do and that some students, some international students had just kind of hung out with other international students, but he tried to join a lot of different organizations. And so he actually got to know a lot of, you know, people from the U.S. and he took a road trip to Arizona with some of them. And just, you know, for him, he was in a place that most of the international students I talked to think they won't enjoy. And he had one of the best experiences that I had, had heard of. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. Being open-minded, it's being nimble and flexible and um, willing to experience something new, regardless of the university by name. That's what education is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I can't recommend to students, and this is actually, I'm just going to emphasize this again, um, because it's so true for domestic students as well. Being involved is crucial. It'll help you be happier in college. It'll also help you get that next job in ways, you know, the first job out of campus in ways that you're not even, you know, aware of. It might might assist you. It might be a, a buddy from your ultimate Frisbee um, team that helps you get the job, you know, like right. things like that. So, right. all right. right. Okay. All right. So thanks so much, Karen and Christine. Um, Stick around, listeners, as next Candace Ng and I will be discussing how to minimize expenses and debt as a college student and a new graduate.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Candice Ng, and welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, and thank you so much for being on our show. I think that um, you bring a really wonderful perspective that it is possible to attend college and not go bankrupt doing it. So um, I I guess I wanted to start out with, you know, when you first attended college, were you really um, planning to save money, like right from the beginning? I'm, I'm kind of guessing that you were sort of financial savvy really came along pretty early. And so I, I'm curious also what kinds of choices you made initially to be able to save. Yeah, well, I always knew I wanted to go to college. Education is of really high importance to me. So when I could work, I did. I remember in high school, I went to freshman orientation, and there was a sign-up that said, uh, cafeteria workers wanted that they wanted um, students to work in the cafeteria during lunch and it paid minimum wage. So for me, that was it. I went straight to the cafeteria and I was able to talk to the um, lady in charge there and got my very first job at 14 working in the high school cafeteria, which was, it wasn't much. I got a half hour a day's pay, but that was enough for me to start slowly saving 
for college. And then later on, once I turned 16 and was able to get a job after school, I went and I got an after-school job to help be able to save for college. Mm-hmm. So you really adopted this mindset very, very early. Um, I want to point out, too, for the listeners that not only, yes, you were only getting paid for half an hour a day, but you were also um, getting work experience that probably helped you get that first job at 16. Yeah, so since I, I had the food uh, experience in the food service industry, I was able to get a job at 16 at Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I did that, and I had the experience that other 16-year-olds didn't have, so that helped me to be able to get a job working 16 to 25 hours a week after school as well. Okay, great. All right, and so how did you cope with high tuition bills um, in general? Like, what, maybe tell us where you went to college and, and what you did to help yourself pay for college. So I went to BYU-Hawaii, so that's on the island of Oahu. If you've ever been to the Polynesian Cultural Center, it's right next door. So um, for me, I... For my bachelor's, I got my bachelor's in Hawaii, and then I got my master's degree in Massachusetts. But primarily, I'm just going to talk about the bachelor's, because that's what a lot of people um, are going for now. Mm-hmm. Um, for my tuition, I but my first semester, I just took the minimum course load, um, about 14 credits. And then I, when I was going to school, I noticed... Well, on the sat of the tuition schedule, it's the same price to take. It's like 12 plus credits a semester is a flat rate. So I was like, oh, well, might as well take 18 credits. So then the next semester I took 18 credits and it was the same as 12. And then I was, went on and I was talking to my advisor and I was like, can I take more classes? And but, Well, you can do an overload and take 21 credits a semester, and it's still the same price as 12. So once I heard that, that was it for me. I'm like, I don't want to spend more money if I can pay for the same price. So that was, I was able to cut down the number of semesters I went for my degree, and I started college in July 2011. I didn't have any college credits prior to starting and I graduated in December 2013 so I was able to graduate in just two and a half years by taking more classes. Mm -hmm. That is very impressive. I was hoping you could tell us you know how you were able to balance such a heavy course load with you know completing your homework and still getting a strong GPA um, you know just to start out with maybe any work internships that might have been required. Yeah, so I was very strategic when it came to finding a job. I I worked all throughout college to help pay for my tuition. And one job I had that I ended up loving was I was a dispatcher for this campus security. And as a dispatcher, I basically just answered phones, checked in with the security officers, and kept the log of what was going on. And there's a lot, a lot of downtime at that job. Luckily, there wasn't anything too crazy going on on campus. So I was able to actually do my homework and study 
while I was working. So that helped a lot because I was able to, like, hit two birds with one stone. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had friends. Um, well, and I actually did this too, who worked in the um, like the lang- I worked in the language lab, and I had other friends who worked at the library. And if you worked the later shift, it tended to be very quiet, and you had a lot of time to do homework. So there's yeah. multiple jobs on campus that allow that. So that's a great tip just to start out with. Yeah, um, I love the graveyard shift, working midnight to six a.m. because nothing happened, so I got to just get all my homework done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were, I hope you were able to get enough sleep as well. Yeah, I was. My, I was not a morning person, so I had all, did all my classes towards the afternoon. Oh, okay. So that works perfectly. Yeah. Then you can w- sleep from six to noon and, you know, get it all yeah, done that way. Yeah, and usually that, the night shift I did was like on a Saturday night, so, or a Friday okay. night, so I didn't have to go to class. Oh, Perfect. Perfect. Okay. And so, I mean, you were in Oahu, so you went to college in a very expensive place. Um, So what were the most effective strategies that you had for saving money on your day-to-day expenses, like books, you know, uh, meals, those sorts of things? Well, as soon as I could, I got rid of that meal plan. I think, to me, meal plans are a little bit of a scam. (laughs) They are expensive. I did the math one time, and I figured that I was paying $21 a day for that meal plan, like $7 a meal. So I ended up just cooking, like doing easy breakfast for breakfast. I'd eat out for lunch or dinner once a week and I'd, or once a day, and I was still saving a lot more than what I was paying on the meal plan, and sometimes it was better food, too. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, I meal find that meal plans, like, the all-you-can-eat meal plans, um, they tend to be a good deal if you're a football player or a basketball player, you know, and you need to eat a ton because you're working out all the time. But yeah. for the us normal people, yeah, they tend to be quite expensive. So, all yeah, right, so that's so. one way. Did you have any other uh, tips or tricks? Um, they look on Facebook. A lot of times, um, campuses have like buy, sell, trade groups or use textbook sites or make friends. Like I would trade textbooks with my friends. We would go on on Facebook and we could sell our old textbooks uh, because you can sell your textbooks back to the bookstore, but you don't make as much uh, and then they turn around and sell them for even higher. So selling them directly to another student through, like, Facebook or... There's a lot of groups out there for buying Mm -hmm. and selling textbooks or just everyday things. Like, a lot of times, if people... Well, in Hawaii, especially, you accumulate all this stuff in college, and then when you graduate, you can't take it all back with you. So there's people selling used stuff all over. So really look into, like, buy, sell trade groups, use textbook sites, and make connections with people that are in the same, like, college as you because a lot of times they have to take the same classes and you can know who to go to for to get their old textbooks. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And also, I will say, if it's a book that you don't need, this is something I did in college. I was there pre-social media, but I didn't have a ton of money either. And so I would, you know, if a book, if I wasn't going to have to read a whole book, I would check it out from the library instead if I wasn't going to need it for the whole semester. So I always tell students, yeah. don't forget the library. Um, yeah, exactly. My college in the library, they had a reserve section that they had all the textbooks, but you couldn't check them out, but you could check them out for like two to three hours at a time and keep them inside the library. So if you're near the library, you can always just go to the library every day and do your homework and not even have to buy that textbook at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. What about entertainment? I mean, you are a college student. You want to be able to have some fun. I'm sure that that's what a lot of college students are thinking. They're like, yeah, but I want to have fun. That's part of college. So what did you do for for, uh, entertainment? You know, how did you have fun while still following a budget? Yeah, I had fun and I made money having fun. I, my school had, uh, had a leadership organization and if you served on one of the committees, you actually got a scholarship. So for me, I'm a social butterfly. I love to go to all the dances and events and plan those things. So I served on the social activities committee as a member. So I helped to plan all the school events. I helped plan the dances, trips to the water park. And in planning these and being on this committee, not only did I get a scholarship, but I also... When we went to the water park, I didn't have to buy a ticket. I got in for free since I was volunteering and working it. I got into all the dances and all the fun events without having to buy the ticket. So, mm-hmm. And that's, again, a way of establishing a resume. Um, exactly. I had a friend... Yeah, like I had a friend in college who his interest was working for the music business. And he so he volunteered for the same the school entertainment committee. Um, and he ended up being the one in charge of the bands that would come to campus. And it allowed him to make a connection with, you know, a record company. And then he got hired there as an internship. So that's another great idea, Candace. Thank you. Yeah. And so what what about any challenges? I mean, I'm sure that there were times when, or maybe not, maybe you're just so good at this, that this comes naturally to you. But did you face any challenges from time to time and kind of staying on budget? Like, what were the areas where you kind of felt like, oh, that was a little harder to do, or I kind of messed that one up and I could have done better? Any Any thoughts on that? I think probably my first semester, because it was the first time away from home. I was in a new place, new friends, so you don't really, I wasn't as, like, I think my first semester was the only semester that I needed to use, like, um, a grant that I had to, a loan, take a loan out my first semester, because that first semester, you have to live on campus, you have to have the meal plan, and then on top of having the meal plan, I wanted to go out and eat with friends, and go get shave ice, and do all that and shopping and like I felt like I had to like spend money to sort of like fit in and like get your friends and all settled so the first semester was a little crazy for me but then I reined it in and got back on track and realized that I don't want to be paying for this education until I'm retired so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. got on track looked into different 
branch I could take. So for all of you that are going into education, look into the TEACH grant. It's a really good grant that you have to do an agreement to serve and that you just agree to teach in a low-income school or in a high-needs field. So nowadays, um, a lot of school districts are considered low-income and high-needs fields might be like special ed or math, science, those specialized areas and that you can get about 3500 a year and you don't have to pay that back as long as you show proof that you worked in the low income schools for the certain number of years that you drew the grant. Mhm. Okay. All right, and just we only have 1 minute left, but did you use any information resources to help you plan ahead and save money in college? Like any books, any authors you would recommend? Uh, back then, I didn't really, but now as I got in older and working on just um, budgeting overall for life, as it now even more expensive, um, I like Dave Ramsey a lot. He's a very good author. He, uh, he's got some good advice to follow, and that can be geared towards you can start it now even when you're young So okay. and then use it the rest of your life. Absolutely. All right. Listen, thank you so much, Candace. I really appreciate your time and your insights today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay. And thanks so much to my other guests today, Karen Caridianis and Christine Luckner of Bentley University. Um, next week, Ian Fisher will be the guest host, and he will be discussing the admission process at Swarthmore College with a former admission officer there, um, how to start the college admission essay, and issues and strategies for when grandma wants to help pay for college. Um, and finally, I want to remind you that every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. You can also download them for free on iTunes. If you check out the archives, you'll find past shows, including those featuring the Office Hour segments, which began on June 30th, 2015, or last week's show when we discussed what to look for in a college or university's career advising office and summer college visits. We also answered listeners' financial aid questions. And if you like our show, be sure to rate us on iTunes. It only takes a moment of your time and is absolutely free. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.